afternoon in a wooded Richmond neighborhood, Lisette Johnson faced the unthinkable. Season 1, Episode 8, That and Live TV, edutainment to help you become emotionally whole, emotionally healed, and emotionally healthy. I interview Lisette Johnson. She calls herself a shameless survivor. It's actually the name of her blog. However, I call her a bulletproof survivor. Here's why. Chances of being an abuser and it increases um, young women's chances of being abused. Um, it doesn't always play out like that. And one of the things that is the um, sort of the, the, the dividing road is how early an intervention into reprocessing into healthy relationship models, they can, um, you know, the earlier the intervention, the less damage, obviously. Now, your event mm -hmm. happened in 2010. 2009. 2009. 2009, yeah. Okay, and this is 2016. Right. So, like, walk me through your recovery. What was, oh, what was say that, let's say, what was the first thing that you did, that you felt was normalizing life for you and your two kids? Um, I, I, you know, I had a substantial physical recovery. Um, I was not able to go home. I left the hospital after about 12 or 13 days, but I was not able to go home and take care of myself. So I stayed at some friends' houses. Um, and, you know, every day got just a little bit stronger. Uh, I remember the first day at the hospital, you know, I it was in critical condition for like two days. And, um, you know, I had, was on a ventilator to help me breathe. And, um, and as I started sort of coming to and whatnot, um, I, um, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't talk. <laughs> and, um, and they took the ventilator out and, um, and sort of, I was sort of in and out with a lot of pain medication, but they said, well, we're going to get you up in the chair today. Well, the chair was probably where you're sitting, but I had tubes coming out of my um, my chest to drain blood. I had had the vent, so my throat was really sore. I was getting food through my through a nose tube. Um, I had, you know, literally there wasn't an orifice that didn't have something in it, and I felt like the Michelin Man. <laughs> I remember I just I couldn't I couldn't roll over. I could barely move, and they said you're going to go sit in that chair, and I said. I can't do that. And the nurse was pretty, she was no nonsense. And she said, you have to do this. Because if you don't do this, you're gonna get blood clots. You need to get up. And um, I, I felt like after I got up, I felt like I had done an Iron Man. I mean, I really felt, I mean, it couldn't have been 18 inches away. But I felt accomplished too. I thought, you know what? My kids need me to do this. Mm -hmm. I lived, they lived. They need me to do this. And so every really, really difficult day, emotionally and um, physically, I would say, 
for them. So having someone else to sort of live for um, was very helpful. And they were relatively young too. Yes. Um, and feeling like I needed to help them process it. Now immediately I was very fortunate because I was sent to a level one trauma center and there was a child, uh, child trauma response team that um, when the children were told that um, their dad had died and that I was in surgery, I may not live, um, they were told this uh, child therapist was there and kind of helping guide the narrative, you know, the dialogue right. of what that was like. But, you know, I, I also felt like I'd been given this huge gift. As, and I remember the first time I saw my kids, it was a couple of days when I was in the hospital, and um, you know, the first thing I said to them was, you know, I'm so glad to see you. And then I was like, you know, we've got to forgive Daddy. Now that was the one time I said that. <laughs> uh, that was the last time I no, said no, that. Did, you, <laughs> did your kids look at you like you're right? They looked at me like, uh, uh, you know, I had been, you know, dropped from an alien spaceship. Yes. Like, what planet yes. did she just come from? Because. I needed to say it, I didn't necessarily believe it, and I certainly didn't, let looks on their faces, I knew they weren't buying it, but I just felt like I had to address somehow. And it, you know, at first, it took me, I mean, in the whole time in the hospital, it's like, you know, I drove him to this, I drove him to this. I didn't drive him to that, but that is the, the sort of almost the core of these types of relationships is anything that, that, abusive partner does, he blames it on the other person. Yes. And so the other person accepts all this blame as, you know, he did this because I do this. Because, you know, usually telling you, you know, I did this because, you know, you're not good at this or you're not good at that. So, you know, I really accepted this responsibility and it took, it took therapy. It took an intervention for somebody to sort of reframe that for me and say, well, like, you know, let's say, you know, he's an adult man. Now who makes him do what? Um, but, um, you know, moving through it, I, I, when I finally did get home, which was probably maybe less than a month from when the shooting happened, I think maybe a little over three weeks, and we got to the house and people were like, oh, you can't go to this house. You know, that happened in the bedroom, my friends went in and repainted the bedroom, and I remember them saying, I said, well, I like the color of my bedroom, and my sister was like, well, it needs to be no, it doesn't. It's fine, you know, because I hadn't seen the house. Right. And um, they're like, yeah, no, you need to repaint your bedroom. I'm like, all right, well, okay, I'll choose a color. So my friends went in, they cleaned the house, they repainted it, and, um, you know, got it all ready for us. And when I went home, the first time I didn't go home, we just went to the house. Mm -hmm. It was the first time the children had been back in the house. And they were so elated to have their toys and their their beds and their blankets and all the things that mean so much um, when you're you know feeling very um, unsettled and those were their security items and I saw you know they really this is their home and so we're gonna have to make this their homework and um, but there was such a feeling of peace once he was gone it was kids out so late they fall asleep in the car so I can get them to the house without um, the 
them having to interact with him. Um, you know, was he, you know, is he going to go off on us or is he going to tell us, you know, I missed you guys? Because that's the way it would go. Right. You know, one day he'd be, you know, it would be so normal, and the next day it would be we couldn't do anything right. So removing that um, just felt so peaceful. And, um, you know, so we just sort of went along for about 10 months. And then at the, the, uh, the trauma therapist's office, I ran into a little girl. And we were just sitting next to each other. My son had gone to the bathroom and she looked at me. She was a little bit older than him. She was about a year older than him. Been shot, and I thought, well, what a funny thing to say. And I was like, well, no, he hasn't. And she said, well, I have. And I said, oh, okay. She said, my dad did. And I thought, this couldn't have happened twice. Like, your dad had shot her. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that. And uh, she said, yeah, I still have like a bullet in my neck. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it's amazing. She's walking. And um, she said, he shot. very rarely somebody sitting there having a conversation about it and here's this child this child and I thought I can't be quiet about this story you know what if I you know she and I her mother and I had known now I mean known then what we know now what red flags right right exactly and so I I thought you know I want to I want to be, um, I want to volunteer with domestic violence shelter. And they had a program to accompany um, a woman who had, um, you know, or were in the emergency room um, to just be there with them. You know, you have people looking and prodding and taking your temperature, your blood pressure, and getting <laughs> x rays and doing all these things. But there's nobody to sit that with them and help them. I mean, you know, they're, they're traumatized um, you know they, they don't understand why this happened and it could happen many times this, you still never understand why somebody would do that um, and being able to provide them resources and saying I don't always tell my story but just saying to to people you know you don't have to go to a shelter but there are some options for you beyond that and let's talk about that and let's talk about making decisions sometimes people are like if only I could go to a shelter, but you know, the kids are in school and this and this, and so we try and figure out like where could you go? You know, could you go stay with family? Is that a long-term sustainable? And so the more I spoke with them and they shared their stories, the more healing I got because I thought, okay, I'm doing something with this story, and um, if I had, and, and you know, it was very in the papers, it was on TV. I mean, uh, you know, Richmond's very small in that yes. way. I, you know, it was all over. And I got, uh, I have a box, I bet I got three or 400 cards. And I got cards from people I didn't even know. And um, it really showed how generous people can be. 
I've many people said we wanna we wanna bring you food, and I didn't know. I didn't. They're like we're friends of so and so, and you know we feel terrible for you and the kids, and so um, I said, you know what? Um, you may bring us food, but we need your company. Could you eat with us when you bring the food? So I met new people. I re-engaged with people that I felt were acquaintances. And um, the kids and I had company for six months and food, food, food. <laughs> um, but it, it made other people feel like they could do something when they felt so very helpless. And um, so it was sort of almost like paying it forward. And so I have this experience that maybe one thing someone hears makes them go, you know what? It might be dangerous right now for me to leave. Maybe I need to call that hotline. Maybe I need to talk to somebody and figure out what I wanna do. And it's very, um, I was a very confident person when I met him. Well, 20 years later, I wasn't confident at all. And it looked like I was confident because I had this building, I mean, this uh, business, and I had these employees, and I had this big social network, and I was active in my kids' school, so it looked like I was confident. But inside, I was like, yeah, I am that person he tells me I am. And I wore it, and it was a heavy, heavy, heavy look. And um, I did not wish it. I, I did not wish him dead. It's been difficult for my children because they will never be able to see who he is or who he was. And I try not to filter it too much, but I mean, the end speaks for itself. Um, now, when you were going through therapy, would you say that there was one particular technique over another one that helped more than others? Well, I was blessed to have a therapist. It was a young man and um, he, had, he is actually a psychiatrist because I began seeing him because I was going on medication. Um, and, uh, and he said, well, I do therapy too. And I thought, oh my gosh, he looked like he just fell off the... <laughs> Have you graduated high school yet? <laughs> uh, but he actually was a psychiatrist, which is a lot of schooling. And he did have a couple years. And I said, you know what, this is gonna be, frankly, you know, this is gonna be convenient. So he had just gotten engaged and um, you know, I wasn't exactly sure why I was in therapy. I just knew I was extremely depressed. I mean, and I didn't say I'm married to this abusive man. You know, I just knew I was very depressed. And um, so, you know, every once in a while he'd say, excuse me, you know, have to take a call for his, from his fiance. And his face would light up and his eyes would light up. And I, would, I thought, that's how I want somebody to feel about me. You know, I, and so that was sort of just the, the very first light that I saw, I was like, that's the way a man should feel about a woman. He should light up. And you know, he would say things like, okay, well, I'll be sure to take care of that. You know, and, and just very loving. And I thought, oh, I don't even remember if we ever said that, <laughs> but it's been so long. And um, so I saw that and then he would, um, I remember specifically one thing I said, well, you know, my husband tolerates this. And he called me on it and he said, tolerates. Well, that's, you know, you tolerate like a, you know, a thorn in your, a splinter in your finger or a, or a, a you know, a, a pebble in your shoe. You don't tolerate someone you love. And so he started reframing a lot of these 
thoughts I had that had been sort of fed to me um, and started turning them around and, and saying, you know, here's an adult, you know, where's his accountability? Um, and um, it, it was, for a while I was seeing him two times a week and then, you know, eventually it went to one and I was still seeing him when this happened. I think for him, um, it was difficult because, you know, maybe he felt like, and we discussed it, that he should have seen signs, he should have known more. And, um, you know, they're, 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 my husband actually had sexually assaulted me before, um, like four days before he ended up shooting me. Um, and I was just so done with the whole thing. I was, you know, I didn't report it to police or anything. I just thought, I gotta get out of it. I just knew this urgency, whereas now as an advocate, I realize when those sorts of things happen, those are very big indicators that some very serious um, violence and likely lethal violence is about to happen. Um, there is something called a lethality assessment. Um, we don't do it formally, but we do ask, because um, some of the indicators, and of course I'm going through training going, oh my gosh, you know, there's 14 things here and 13 of them apply. <laughs> um, you know, children from another marriage, is there substance abuse? Um, is there, have there been threats to kill you if you leave? Um, are there weapons or access? Because we frequently think, well, you know, guns are in the home, or they're not. But does he have friends who have guns? Um, and, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, is there, um, has, has uh, and they, they use it in the assessment and call it choking. Well, choking is when you have food stuck in your throat. Strangulation is when someone puts their hands around your neck. Um, but 99% of the women come in and say, he tried to choke me. Um, because it's hard to think when somebody is putting their hands around your neck, they're trying to close down your airway. And that is actually attempted murder. Um, strangulation in Virginia is now a very serious offense. Um, but um, the woman is thinking, I just want this abuse to stop. I just want him to get his hands around from out away from my neck. I want him to stop treating me this way. He's normal. Everything is fine. Exactly. And and violence. Um, and, and I say violence because even though I wasn't um, physically assaulted over the duration, it felt violent the way he spoke with me, you know, and he very rarely even raised his voice. I was the one raising my voice. He would, you know, sort of kick and prod and, you know, just pluck at me, pluck at me, and then I would explode, and then I'm screaming like a crazy woman, and he's sitting in the corner like, well, look at you, you are, you're the abusive one, look how you're screaming. Exactly. And you finally have this breaking point of I can't take it anymore. And it's almost like entertainment. But then I thought, you know, well, so, you know, if he had assaulted me, and many times um, after an assault, um, when the police get there, that's exactly, you know, the woman's like has been fighting for her life. Um, and he's sitting there going, well, officer. Look at these scratches on my arm. I mean, it's clear, and he's just as calm as a cucumber. And um, so I think sometimes sharing these things when somebody is that happened to me, for them to go, you know what? I'm not the problem here. This is the problem here. And um, 
regardless of whether we understand why, you know, it's terrible to think somebody was traumatized, like you were saying, your brothers, that they were traumatized and they are reacting in the way that they learned how to react in trauma. Because I still in growing up, because my brothers are a number of years older than me, anywhere from six to 12 years. I have four. Okay. And I've watched law enforcement in three different jurisdictions. You know, oh man, just cool off, take a walk around the block and then come back. They're cool. They know exactly what they're doing. And that's the thing. People think they snap or they're, you know, and the, these things happen in the heat of the moment. They're very cool. They're very calculated. They're so controlling. Um, you know, it's very manipulative. They manipulate the police. Mm -hmm. They manipulate, you know, their family members. And it's really sad to think how they came to learn that. But that's still not something we can we can't love it out of them. Because when it first started happening, I was probably nine or 10 years old. And even at nine or 10, sixth grade, I could sit back and look and watch and think, something in this picture is not right. I mean, I'm not an adult, right. I'm not a big person, but you people aren't doing this the way this is supposed right. to be done. Something is not right, right. here. Because right. the first time I actually ran away from home, I was five years old. Oh, that, was the, that was the first time at five, I had reached a breaking point in thinking, this is crazy. I don't know who, this is not the way life is supposed to go. At five, I knew this is not the way this is supposed to go. I don't know how it's supposed to go. I just know this is <laughs> This is not it. It's right. <laughs> See why I call her bulletproof? Domestic violence is an epidemic in our society. We are only going to eradicate it if we attack it from all sides. Lisette and I would love to get your feedback. Have you ever experienced domestic violence? Leave it in the comment section below and consider joining my email list over at thatanitalive.com. It's where I do giveaways, contests. You may get to vote on who gets interviewed next. This was just part two. Stay tuned for part three.